1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
2: From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you, Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Obviously, ideas come and go all the time before you roll out the final, final product and you're ready to launch your business. Especially as a creative, you could be interested in so many different things but not know where to start or what to do. For today's Work Party expert, I'm chatting with Caroline Lee. She is a creativity multi-hyphenate queen. Caroline is a photographer, producer, podcaster. She owns a venue in Atwater Village in Los Angeles called Light Lab. She does literally everything and owns a ton of different businesses. And I'm so excited to pick her brain. Let's welcome to the show, Caroline Lee. So I'm here with the multi-hyphenate queen. I'm really excited to chat with you because what I love about you is you're such a doer. Like you have an idea and then you make it happen and you do it over and over again with different companies, different ideas. And I think that's really challenging for a lot of people is to kind of have this idea and then make it come to life. So first and foremost, can you tell us about all your various jobs, side hustle, passion projects, all the things that you do?
3: Uh, Sure. First of all, Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Um, and so, uh, let me see if I can remember everything. Um, so, uh, I started out as a photographer. Um, my husband and I started a business called Woodnote, um, photography about, gosh, I think it's like nine years now. And we started shooting back when like blogs were new and like, you know, wedding, the wedding industry was pretty new. So it was very, we just didn't know that many people doing what we were doing, but we just had, there was so much need for content. You know, this was like kind of pre like very early social media days. And so the idea of having original content was very much needed, but very new. Um, And so we had always loved photography and we both um, shot uh, a lot when we met each other. And so we were sort of like, this is fun. And this is a chance to like work together and travel and meet cool people. And so let's do this. So we did that. And Honestly, that has grown and kind of snowballed into everything else that we've ever done. Just even with, you know, one of our other businesses is called Coco Carpets and we import rugs from Morocco, vintage rugs from Morocco. And that was something that came really from, again, like I was working on our home in LA. I'm designing it. I fell in love with specific rugs and started to research them a ton because my background is in art history. And so I was like, oh my gosh, these are like vintage rugs and they all tell a story and they're all so amazing. And so I started to really just get into the the nuance of all of the history of different tribes that would make these rugs. And so then it was like on one of our trips, we ended up in Morocco and did tons of research while we were there. And, you know, again, it it very much came from a passion that, that I already had, that we already had, and then doing the work to make it happen. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, without going on a super long story with every single one, um, I also have a podcast called out of line, And I have an event space and studio space in Los Angeles in Outwater Village called Light Lab. Um, And then I have a production company um, with my brother and my husband, and we do commercial shoots and video content and things like that. So yeah, just a few things.
2: Yeah, just a few things. And I think you are sort of the embodiment of the new generation of work and like how people approach work. And so one thing that I think is so fascinating is you mentioned your brother, you obviously have Anne and Light Lab, you have your husband, you have multiple business partners and, and business sort of creative liaisons. How do you manage all of those different relationships and ensure that they stay healthy and, and positive?
3: Mm, that's a great question. Um, and I think it's so important to both have really strong uh, business partnerships and relationships, but also to really understand and see that like my business will only grow as much as my relationships have trust in them. And so, um, so both, and, and so, Anne is my, is my business partner with light lab. And then my brother, Robert is my business partner with, um, our production company, echo and Earl. And then Jaden, my husband is a business partner in uh, most of the businesses. And so what I would say is the, the number one thing is, (laughs) working on yourself, um, doing, doing work, like doing therapy, doing, um, self-work, transformational kind of coaching, things like that, where, where I'm, getting actual feedback on how I show up. And then I'm taking it instead of just being like, well, you know how she is and doing like that kind of thing. It's actually looking at, okay, what's effective and what's ineffective in my relationships and how can I be in ownership and awareness of that so that my business partners can trust me. They can know what, what they can count on from me. And also they can know what I need in terms of how they can communicate well with me. So, you know, we, we have very specific, um, working times planned out every week. Like we schedule them usually a month to two months in advance so that we know what we can count on from each other. And then we have just really clear communication. Um, and you know, if something isn't working, we deal with it and we talk about it right away. We don't do like the three months later, I should have mentioned this, but now it's this huge, ugly, gaping wound in our relationship. <laughs> like we sort of like, Hey, this isn't working. And even my brother, cause you know, we grew up together, so we know each other so well. And yet, you know, we, my brother and I finished a shoot the other week. And afterwards we did a debrief at, at our cars in the parking lot, like what worked, what didn't work. You know, and he gave me some like really, really honest feedback and was like, here's something that didn't work that you did that made my day harder. And I was like, whoa, thanks for letting me know. I'm so glad you told me that. I'll keep that in mind for next time.
2: Hard truths are sort of the best medicine sometimes and I think that I think debriefing regrouping on things is so important it's something that even on our side we're so busy it's very difficult to do um, but one thing you mentioned I mean I love that you had this debrief in a car um, I was gonna say you don't go to an office like you don't have a nine to five you have multiple companies. How are you organizing your life and your structure and I know you mentioned you have meetings but how is there consistency in your schedule if there
3: if there is any? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of yes and no. Um, I, in, in terms of the consistency. So I have, there are certain things that are consistent. And I think that when it comes to other people, I, I really strive to have there be consistency for them and with them. Cause I think for myself, I'm like, ah, whatever, like it'll be fine if I don't do that today or if I, whatever. But when it comes to someone else, you know, with Anne, like we always have Monday morning, we spend at least an hour and a half together going through work, talking things out. And it's like in-person that is locked in. I'm not going to change that. So there are things like that, that just support the the flow of business and letting everyone know what's up and what's, what's coming up for the week. Um, I have Google spreadsheets that really support me because I do have so many, you know, balls in the air <laughs> at all times. And so checking in on Uh, where am I with each thing is really important. And I like leave myself notes of like, this is what I did today. And then so that tomorrow I'll remember and, and kind of pick up where I left off. Really, honestly, the big thing that I found in terms of consistency that supports me is, is like the, the foundation stuff, the things like, 3 exercise sessions a week. Things that make sure that I don't burn out and get to the end of a day or week and be like I forgot to eat today. I haven't worked out in a month. I feel terrible. I hate my life. Everything sucks. Um cuz it's really easy especially, you know, as business owners, you know this, being self-employed. There's the work is never done. Mm. It's never done. I could literally work for 20 hours a day and it would never be done. So it's about for me it's about being like and right now is when I'm going to finish for today, or I'm gonna take a break from the work to go, you know, spend time being with my my friends or in my own body at a workout class or whatever it is and making sure that I do that intentionally. Otherwise I will just work nonstop. Yeah, it's it's you have to
2: prioritize uh, yourself and your work uh, sort of side by side. So this episode is really about from idea to product, from idea to fruition with your businesses. And this can be whichever one you feel is the most relevant to this, but can you talk through like maybe light lab, like seeing the space, thinking this week can be a venue. This can then be this, this, and like getting from like the tactical points of like how you made that happen. Cause they think that's the hardest part for people. The ideas mm-hmm. are
3: easy. The execution difficult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I think a couple of things, one getting clear on an intention, you know, even with light lab, it was like when, when we got the space, it was okay, this is going to be a space about community and creativity. So those two words, like grounding in every decision. So when it was like, um, are we going to start, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, can we rent this for a wedding? No, you can't. Cause that's not what this space is. We don't want to have weddings every weekend with like, you know, dealing with all kinds of, that's a different, that's a different ballpark com- compared to what we're up to, which is community and creativity. So that means that we say yes to things like hosting workshops or, you know, we have yoga in there twice a week, or we have, you know, community works sessions where more people can get together and work together or, um, you know, productions for different, you know, filming things or video shoots or whatever it is, it's about, is this actually in line with the original vision so that otherwise you can just kind of get distracted and go on Mm -hmm. like a little squirrel chase. Um, and so that's, I think getting really clear on like, what are you making and why is the number one thing to really check in with, Um, even like, what's the problem that you are solving? By creating this thing. So whether it's a space, whether it's a product, whether, whether it's, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to create, like, what's the problem that you're solving and what's the intention, um, to just keep grounding yourself into that. That's like step one. The second thing that I would say is know know your strengths and be okay. Asking for support on the things that you're not good at. So for me, like, I am awesome at big picture stuff and production. Like I will be the one who's like, here's the list of what we need to get, get done. Here's when we need to get it done by. And then I have to trust people to come and do those steps because um, I'm terrible with details. Like not a chance. I'm not going to do them. And I sometimes when I've tried, uh, the, result is, the result suffers because I was trying to micromanage or I didn't want to – delegate. Um, and sometimes, you know, there is that whole thing, especially being self-employed sometimes it's like, well, I, I don't know the right people to find or, but then if I trust someone to do it and then they, they suck, then I'm going to just double up my work and have to undo it and whatever. So, you know, it can take time. Like one of my favorite things to talk about is that an idea really takes like three years of dedicated work before it, actually gets to a point that it's flowing. Um, you know, and we just hit, we just went into year four um at Light Lab, which I love because it's in that flow now where it's like it's pretty effortless. Like people know that we're there. So we're not like trying to get the word out. You know, we have people in there all the time. Um and it's now it's at a point where it's been going well for so long that we have it so this well-oiled machine. And so now we're like, let's update the interior. You know, like we have extra energy to do something new with it because it's flowing. But at the very beginning, it was like every single week there was something breaking down or the, you know, the plumbing was drama or the bank account had to be opened or whatever. So it does take three years to really like get the flow happening.
2: I think that's, Super accurate. And I cannot believe it's been four years. That's wild. But that's like, so exciting. And I think, I mean, I, we talked about this earlier when we were together earlier, but I love that you're updating the interior, keeping it fresh. And I think that's like something that should happen with every business, whether you're updating your website or your logo or refreshing, you know, your mission statement. I think that's a testament to being a visionary and saying, like, we're continually updating this space and making it new. So when Light Lab launched, I felt like it was everywhere like the press and the media and the photos. It was really well orchestrated. And I think for most of our listeners, having the idea, great, getting it launched, awesome, getting people to know about it can be a challenge. What tips do you have from like a marketing and launch perspective to get your brand out there?
3: Um, that's a great question. I think the, the biggest thing with, with marketing is uh, really beautiful and well-created content. Um, I think that that it seems like such a like throwaway basic answer, but I think – you know, sometimes when people launch things and I see their, their content and they're like, oh, I'm working on the website or, oh, I'm, you know, I'll be developing the social media. And I'm like, oh, like that should have been, that should have been step number one. one." Um, so I would say, you know, and that could be, that could be trades. That could be like, I'll give you this product and you work with a friend who's a photographer or you work with an up and coming photographer or, you know, whatever it is that you have to do. Cause I get it. Especially if you don't have like a funded brand, then sometimes there isn't, there aren't resources to go and hire a photographer to shoot like a $10,000 lookbook. I get it. But, um, you know, trading is a great way to get things, get things going. And then I think like, honestly, the number one thing in my life is relationships. And that, that goes for myself, like with my husband, Jaden, with, you know, my siblings, with every, everyone in my life, like, and even with Anne, we always will say, we started out knowing each other because of work, but now we're friends and our friendship comes first. And, you know, we met on set, we met at, because of work. And yet, when she got married, I was her only bridesmaid. So we've become friends and relationship is the number one thing that matters. And that includes networking, Mm -hmm. like, and not doing it in a dirty way of like, here's my business card, but like genuinely connecting with people. And then when you launch something, it's so easy to just be like, Hey, everyone, I did this thing. And then everyone's stoked about it because you already have that foundation of relationship and friendship and connection with each other, so that it's not just like, "Hey, can you do me this favor?" And everyone's like, "Dude, gross." Who are you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you? Why are you asking me for a favor? So I think, um, you know, it's it's a lot about it's a lot about being someone genuine that mm-hmm. um, you know that allows other people to also feel inspired and let in to the process. Um, you know, sometimes I think social media can create uh, a bubble of like this perfect process. And so that's what my podcast is all about. Just like talking about the unspoken sides of reality, um, for people who are mostly online to just talk about like what's really going on. And I think that's important in, Launching a product, like, yeah, if you're going to launch something being like, this is awesome. Um, but also the reality of it of like, yeah, our plumbing burst today, or, you know, the sofa came in and it was the wrong shape or whatever, like letting people see the humanness is what's awesome.
2: Absolutely. I love that you talked about the favor economy. I think that's very real. It's something we've talked about in this podcast. When you're first starting out, like you said, the content's super important. The site is super important. All those things cost money, even though now there's a lot of tools and you know, sort of free things that you can do to kind of teach yourself. I fully taught myself how to build a website. The first iteration of it, probably terrible. But I think that favor economy is very real, but that really survives only on your reputation and your relationships. And if you're authentic and not asking someone, Hi, so great to meet you. Can you build my website for free? But really building that trust and longevity is so important um throughout your entire career. So I, I think that's amazing. Yeah, and then also your podcast, which I um had the pleasure of being on, I think is yeah. so incredible because you know you yourself are an influencer, you have a large following, you interview people who also have large followings about what they're not known for, you know, like what the behind the scenes is of being influential. And I think this economy of influence is very interesting and in, and yours specifically plays into your business. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of, you know, highlight reels that we see over and over again um, of things going really well. But again, like you said, the plumbing breaks, things flood, um, things show up broken, you know, right before the event, all the things that happen, people definitely need to be talking about. Mm. But one thing I want to also talk about is, you know, you are a multi-hyphenate business owner. You own multiple businesses. And one thing that people also don't talk about is the work of just owning a business, the paperwork, the taxes, the, the hiring, like all of the things like 1099s, blah, 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 whatever. How do you tackle those pieces of the business? Is that something that your business partners typically handle? Is that something where you bring in the experts to kind of like handle that for you? How do you tackle just running those that many companies?
3: That's a great question. Uh, usually, well, and a lot of it is trial and error. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know one of the things that we have all decided to do this year is to bring on more support um, because it was me that was doing all of the, um, you know, one day a month at the end of the month I would do like a big breakdown of every single business. Here's here's the accounting. Here's the spreadsheets. Here's the money stuff, and. First of all, it's literally my least favorite thing on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. Like I I I suck at math. I hate numbers. I don't want to look at the books. They're the worst. Um and and also it's just like my time could be used more effectively with something else, with actually creating and doing the things that I'm good at. So, you know, I think it's it goes back to the idea of being willing to sometimes spend the money on support and and obviously at the very beginning that might not be possible, but as soon as you can to see yourself and your time as worth it, to get support with, uh, outside people who it is their job to really, you know, do it. And I think talk to people, talking to people who have, um, similar businesses and asking them Mm -hmm. for, for recommendations, you know, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I can, you know, even throw this out, throw this out there, but even you, like you and I share a housekeeper who's <laughs> the most amazing human on planet earth. Because I texted you at one point a couple years ago and was like, help, I need help. Like, But shout out Esther.
2: And And she does so many powerful women now. And I love it because she's like, I just do all the power women houses. And I'm like, it's amazing. But like, that's a pay it forward. But this, do it with accountants, do it with lawyers. Like I do this all the time with everyone in my life because I know how challenging it can be to find someone that's good and trustworthy and amazing to make your life easier and um, or help your business or whatever it might be. But like that recommendation, um, like, girls network is so important for your business because you don't want to end up with someone who's shady and not good. And like, I think that, that happens more often than not.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've, I've taken recommendations from people that I didn't really know that well, mm-hmm. and then I've not loved the result. And I've been like, huh, I wonder what happened here. And when I look back, I, I usually realize, oh, we aren't actually the same kind of business or kind of person. And so it makes sense that the person they recommended actually is not my jam. So I think it's okay to, to ask, ask for, ask for recommendations, ask for recs and and get clear on, you know, what you're, what you're looking for. So for me, that, that means things that make my life run. And, and, you know, because I'm not like a stay at home, um, you know, I don't, I don't cook either. Um, and so that, <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest about all the things I don't do. You're like I don't um, cook.
2: I don't do the accounting. No, but I, I, it's important.
3: Yeah, and I get that. That's very much um, luxury in a lot of in a lot of ways. But you know, knowing where I can afford to hire someone to help me so that I can actually make the money or make some money is is okay. And that's been a massive growing stretching thing for me to see myself as like worth it and not like some sort of high-maintenance diva that just needs to go like outsource everything, you know.
2: But it really comes back to your time as being valuable because I think like that was something that someone had to kind of tell to me where I was like, I mean, I can do the accounting. I know how to do it. I've done it, so I'm just going to do it. And they were like, okay, great. How many hours a week is that taking you? I don't know, seven? They're like, those seven hours can be spent getting more new business. Now, new business is going to drive growth, which means you can then hire. Like, you really have to look at things as like that full 360 and, you know, someone, I want to say someone on a panel at Create and they said staff your weaknesses and st- staff the things you don't like to do or that you're not good at obviously once you get to a place where you can make more money again you can't just staff up everywhere if you're not making any money and then you have to pay all these people and that was going to be something I w- I wanted to talk to you about after this is that you know you don't te- you don't technically have any employees correct
3: yeah no no we will hire Um, people for like, you know, a job or a day or a week or that kind of thing. But we don't have employees. No, they're either they're either business partners or more uh, freelance. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And I think that's
2: a really interesting way to kind of approach a business. And I think for for me, like in my first company, I didn't have any employees for a couple years. I just had uh, permalancers or, you know, kind of consultants. And it's a great way. Number one, it's a very lean way to run a business. You know, you're not dealing with payroll and taxes and all these different things. And at the same time, you know, I'm curious, like if a massive client comes to you and is like, massive commercial video shoot we need your entire team to be there how are you approaching those conversations with clients um you know and how are you staffing up accordingly because i think that's you know everyone's you know biggest fear and best thing to possibly happen to them is hey i want to hire your very small business for this very large project and it's like cash flows you know people to do the event
3: all these things it's like ah, we'll figure it out but how do you approach that great question and it it has happened and i hope it will continue to happen and i think it goes back to, um, already having those relationships in place, Mm -hmm. having a network, like not being an island, having people that I trust who I can call them and be like, girl, you know, can you take tomorrow off, you know, from your job to come on set with me, I'll cover you. Or like, can you recommend three people for this? Um, and so already having those relationships and having it be, very give and take. So the those same people can come to me at any time and they do. Um and and so I think that there are certain there are certain cities I think and states and countries that are less collaborative mm. than Los Angeles. I'm so grateful to live here because I love collaboration. And I think that even just even just like the coming from like the generosity and abundance of being like of course I'll share my you know my so-and-so's number with you of course I'll come help you with that because there's plenty to go around but I have lived in other like I I used to live in Melbourne Australia which is an incredible con it's I mean Australia is incredible as a country and Melbourne is a stunning city. I adore it. It's beautiful. The best food, the best people, the best art. But when it comes to the creative community, they just don't like, if I was like, Hey, can you let me in on, you know, where I can go for this? They just sort of like, Oh, (laughs) oh, oh," and then avoid it and don't tell you. Um, and when it comes to like a job that I can't take if I'm like, "Hey, does anybody want this job? You know, I can send them on to you because I can't take it." They don't do that in return. It's very like mm. closed in and kind of keeping everything close to like, "I worked for this, so I'm going to keep it." And I just think, you know, for anyone listening that doesn't live in Los Angeles and maybe lives in a place that is a little bit more like hands closed about connections, just like be the one who starts that, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, open handedness about there's plenty to go around and relationship, meaning I can share with you and then you'll share with me. And that as like a culture is something that someone has to be the one to start it. Someone has to be the one that says, Hey, let's collaborate, let's connect, let's share. And then that makes like the problem that you talked about, like what do you do when a big job comes and it's bigger than what your team can handle? You handle it in like two
2: seconds. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten in terms of your businesses
3: or advice you wish you knew earlier? Mm, That's a good question. I think what comes up first of all is the slow burn. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, no, like being okay with that, the fact that there will be mountains and valleys and that it is, I think people that I've watched start businesses and then close them really quickly, or even in the first year or two, it's like, you, you have to go in knowing this is going to be a commitment. This is going to You know, this might even suck a lot at the beginning (laughs) and then it might suck a lot later for a while, but just rolling with those waves and being okay with, um, the ebb and the flow and, and really like the words, the slow burn, um, are, are what come up for me, um, in that answer.
2: Incredible advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
4: Work Party is brought to you in partnership with Third Love. Alternative caption, Work Party
5: is brought to you by boobs, but for real. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, we are going to talk about our little BBs
4: for just a moment. Because getting a new bra is, for me, it's one of the most satisfying feelings of like this new young woman professional journey that I'm on. It feels really good. It's like a boost of confidence if you have a great bra. I totally agree
5: with you. I mean, walking into a Monday morning meeting, I have 99 problems to solve and my boobs should not be one of them. I'm a big t-shirt wearer. But if you don't have the right bra on, I kinda, I'm like a little uncomfortable or like a little self-conscious and that's just... Not a good look.
4: Yeah. I have a third love bra on the way. I'm super excited for it. I took this quiz online. It was very quick. It took me like 60 seconds to complete it. And I got matched with a perfect fit based on my current size and like the shape of my boobs. So I learned a little bit about this quiz and like the perfect fit and everything. I'm really excited for it. And it's cute. It's like this. Beautiful spring purple lavender color. Ah, That's gonna be cute. I'm excited for it. It was so quick for me to take this quiz and like figure out which one was gonna fit me perfectly. And that's like that convenience. It was, I mean, game changer for me. I have 60 days to wear it, wash it, feel comfortable in it. And if it's not the best fit for me, I can return it super easily and third love will then actually donate it to a woman in need i, I mean make such good use of it right exactly that's so great it's a win-win for everybody
5: great so check out third love there's a perfect bra fit for everyone bra fit bra color go find out take the quiz get your fit going and then if you don't love it you can return it actually right now third love is offering work
4: party listeners 15 percent off your first order Go to thirdlove.com slash party to find your perfect fit and get your 15% off your first purchase.
5: That's thirdlove.com slash party for 15% off. Go do it. Go
4: boobs. And remember, you have 99 problems, but your boobs should not be one of them. (laughs) Copyright. (laughs) Hey, work party starters. We are back here at the CNC headquarters checking in. It is teal. And
5: Heather, we're both on the marketing team. I'm the head of marketing and Teal is my wonderful marketing manager.
4: So we're answering some questions that you guys slid into our DMs with. Super excited. Let's hop right into it.
5: So today, the first question comes from TY Victoria. And she asked, how do you balance work and party? That one's for you, Till.
4: So obviously, that's what we do here. We try our best to balance work and party, but it takes a conscious effort. We work all the time, so putting in that party is actually, um, it's, it's pretty fun, though, because yesterday we had, like, a team happy hour where we did yoga, but we were like, okay, everyone, please, in the next five minutes, close your laptops, take a deep breath, wrap up what you're doing. We're going to take a brain pause yeah. and actually do some yoga together and then get back to work. The work is gonna be there, so we have to kind of encourage each other to step away for a second. And doing it together is really fun, but I'd say, you know, we definitely try to take advantage of those times where we're not traveling, when we're not on the go and be able to say, okay, I'm going to do a hike this weekend, or I'm going to go to yoga this weekend. Like it takes some, it takes some effort to really add in the party into your workflow. Totally. And especially, you know,
5: we're a startup and we are, you know, a rad group of women who work our asses off and we work really long hours and we work really fast and we work through weekends for our events and stuff like that. And it's amazing. Um, but we have to make sure that we're also like, and, and that in itself is what we mean when we say work party, we're all together, we're working through it, we're laughing the entire time. And, but you know, it, it's work and it is intense. And so we balance that out. And you have to, especially when you're moving, moving, moving Um, You have to be able to make a, you know, conscious decision to say, we're putting this time on the calendar. And yeah, we call it team happy hour. But sometimes it's just like team stand up and get outside or go away from your desk and not talk to each other about work and maybe just like have an hour or something of like, free brain time. And, you know, I think that's super important. And you really do, especially in the beginning phases have to make like, a decision to say, like, this is the time for this so that we, like, feel, I don't know, happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely. So it's really great. I think our – but I I think there's tons of ways you can do it. And, and, you know, happy hour, it's like drink, but we don't always have to drink. We can do other Mm -hmm. things too. Like yoga, right? Yeah.
4: (laughs) Okay, so our next question is coming from Sarandon, and he asked, what is the best approach for reaching – out to other businesses for sponsorships?
5: So I think this is a really great question and one that we actually get a lot. I would say the best approach, I I think the best approach is to tailor your approach to the person Mm -hmm. that you're reaching out to. So do your research, identify some objectives that they that you might be able to help them reach mm-hmm. um, some goals. So maybe that's acquisition or maybe that's the, getting their brand or, or their message in front of a really like highly engaged, unique, target market. So um, something that we always talk about is, like, when you reach out to someone be like, how am I making your life easier? What am I bringing to the, you know, like, what am I bringing to the table for you so that you see that immediate benefit? And um, I think you really have to think through and identify what those are and what would be the most important things for those people that you're reaching out to um, and have the numbers to back it up and have Mm -hmm. the stats to back it up. So very important to have a media kit to have, you know, flexibility to in what you're reaching out with. So you might be able to say, this is what I'm going to bring to you. These are the numbers to back it up. But like, I'm absolutely flexible and would love to have a conversation with you to see how we can make this work so that it's really beneficial for you. Yeah. So, um and of course that would be a, ne- a negotiation, but um I think it's a really 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 smart idea to be able to have conversations because maybe they have something yeah. in mind that you you know weren't emphasizing
4: but you can absolutely go above and beyond on. So, or like a new launch coming soon and yeah. new product or something that they're talking about in the office, but they haven't put out on online or on social media or anything like that. Exactly. So tailor your pitches
5: to the people and make them feel like you are the best thing that ever happened to yeah. them.
4: <laughs> I would just add like, make sure it's a line. Make sure it makes sense. Like if you have a clothing line, but you're reaching out to like a restaurant, like just make sure your yeah. pitches make sense. And it's something that they're actually going to be interested in totally okay so the last question is from yellow
5: boots with the z um how do you figure out your target audience
4: (laughs) so we both are in marketing which is I mean perfect question for us but first I would say like when you come up with your brand and your business idea like you have an audience in mind in your head you know who that product or that service is going to be important for so it's kind of like you you pick your audience and then you put that stuff out online and you do like trial and error and just continue to post content and continue to share stuff and the people are going to naturally come to you and then you ask them more detailed questions to figure out more about them like where are you guys from that's what I was going to say yeah I
5: think the most important thing for brands especially today in the age of social media being so crucial to marketing strategies You need to talk to your audience and whether you're doing that on Twitter, whether you're doing that through like a post-purchase consumer survey Mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Like, I mean, if you are in person, even better, you know, um, if you have a retail opportunity, definitely talk to your consumers, find out who they are, talk through what they want, um, talk Mm -hmm. through, like give them the opportunity. To help mold your product, or help maybe you have a product and you're taking that feedback, and then you can tailor the product to enhance it based off of what these people yeah. want and are looking for. And maybe that's different on the East Coast than it is in, uh, like in the South or in Middle America, or if you're international, um, to, tailored to those markets. But definitely have conversations, and don't be afraid to be a little human with your, Mm -hmm. um, audience, you know, definitely bring that to the table through your brand. And then from there, you know, find out where they are and go get them. Yeah, (laughs) that was it. Okay. So thanks for tuning into our little CNC headquarters check-in and reminder to submit your questions. Next week, we will be taking a little bit of a breather and then we'll be back the following week with a special, episode, so you'll have to tune into what that one is, um, and we'll be taking your questions for that one as well. So uh, we'll see you guys soon. Slide in the DMs.
4: Work Party is brought to you by Booty Bag. Underwear shopping, to be honest, it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, no pun intended, but it's stressful. Yeah, I really don't like shifting through
1: those sales bins. It gets really overwhelming. It's really difficult to just like sift through all the different styles and the colors it's not fun
4: and it gets messy i feel like i'm always the last person to to dive in so i don't even get the cute stuff but booty bag is here to make finding the perfect underwear and the most comfortable options so much more convenient it's basically instacart
1: for your panties and starting at just nine dollars a month booty bag is the new
4: way to get your fave undies delivered straight to your front door I got my first pack the other day, and it's basically Christmas. You get the option online to choose your style preference, your shipment frequency, and you can cancel or skip months at any time. So if you decide you're all stocked up and you want to revisit the options a few months from now, you can do that at any time. It's super easy on the website. It's pretty fun, honestly. You get to pick your little packages and and every month you get it yeah it sounds
1: amazing and even better than new underwear is that every pair purchase is donated so underwear is the most requested item and least donated clothing item at women's shelters so this female founded company booty bag donates thousands
4: of pairs to women we love that a great cause and a female founded company and double cheer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so ditch the undie sales rack bins and tabletops and whatever. The booty bag is the new wave. Fresh panties every month, and there's even an option to subscribe to two pairs of undies and a monthly bra. So
1: use the code WorkParty for 50% off your first month at www.bootaybag.com.
4: That's code WorkParty at bootybag.com for 50% off.
2: While I've always been in service-based and experience-based businesses, most businesses you know and love are product-based. We all love product-based companies, from the clothes we buy, the skincare products you use, to the sheets that you sleep in. There are so many pros to product-based businesses, things like scale, great margins, and so much more. But there's also so many questions, and specifically questions I have about it. You know, little things like supply chain, ethical manufacturing, and patents. So for most of us, we may have our sketchbook full of ideas and outlines, and maybe you've already imagined the packaging on your dream product. But how do you make that product is the big question. Going from idea to product feels very challenging. Moving from working on building something out of your kitchen to making it into the big time. And beyond that, once you have a great product, how do you get people to know about it? 90% of a good product is marketing. And that is a stat I have fully made up, but I'm sure it's true. On average, the cost of launching a new product is in the neighborhood of $15 million. Cha-ching! So people are definitely going to have to raise money or have massive amounts of capital to get going on this. Fortune reported the top reason that product-based businesses fail is because no one wants the product. So making sure that you do your research to make sure people actually want the product is Huge. In today's work party episode, we're discussing the ins and outs of launching a successful new product and the biggest hurdles that you have to push past in the early stages. Today's guest is Ariel Kay, the founder of Parachute Home, a home goods behemoth that has raised over $40 million in funding with their direct to consumer sheets, mattresses, and so, so, so much more. Welcome to the show, Ariel. You worked in brand development and advertising in New York before you started Parachute. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and how, if at all, it played into now your role running a
0: company? Sure. So... I worked at a big ad agency, and I was working as an account planner, which really means that you're on the strategic side of creative. So I was doing a lot of consumer behavior research, which was both qualitative and quantitative. I was doing focus groups. I was really understanding who the customer was, how to talk to them, how to motivate them, inspire them, and then working directly with the creative team to create campaigns or messaging or whatever it was for that project that would actually connect with the person. So you know, it's not the most conventional path to get into being an entrepreneur. And starting a business, but it was so helpful. Um, and I realized that to build a consumer first business, like I had the best background. Um, so yeah, it worked out.
2: It's interesting because I have agency in my background too. And I think it's in, when you're creating all these things for other brands, you never, or at least I wasn't thinking, I'm going to do this for myself one day. It kind of just happened. Were you ever like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and start a company?
0: No, but I did. Uh, I was sort of the uh, startup. Um, liaison for um, the agency. And so I was going to South by Southwest. I had a lot of friends that were joining early stage startups or starting their own companies. So I was surrounded by entrepreneur- entrepreneurs and my parents are both entrepreneurs. So there was a point where I all of a sudden realized that I wanted to have more of an impact. I wanted to do something where I was a bigger part of a journey and being in a huge agency with hundreds and hundreds of people just wasn't giving me that um, freedom to, you know, really get my hands dirty. So um, there was a moment where all of a sudden I realized that, yes, I did want to do something more entrepreneurial, but I didn't think I would start my own company.
2: Right. And so walk me through how Parachute happened, like where that idea was, where the spark started to I'm taking this seriously. and going to do this.
0: Sure. So it was 2012. <laughs> Let's bring uh, it back. <laughs> I, um, I was at Digitas and I, you know, to bring it back even further, I started an interior design and home blog in 2006 when I was getting ready for grad school. So I was super passionate about interior design. I was doing a lot of projects at home. I started helping friends and family decorate their home. And it was something that just, you know, was a, it was a passion project. I wasn't getting paid, but it was something that really just inspired me. So that continued. Um, I became somewhat of a super consumer in the home goods area. And when I decided I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, I had one of those aha moments where, you know, perhaps this was the time that I could merge my interests in home and design and also brand building and connecting with customers. Um, Initially, like I said, I didn't think I'd start my own company. I looked around and um, realized that there wasn't much innovation happening in the home space. There wasn't any digitally native brands. And this was the time that Warby Parker was gaining momentum, Everlane. It was this like major direct-to-consumer moment. And so I started – like the wheel started turning. And it was like what if, you know, there was a direct-to-consumer home brand and it spiraled from there. So for people who maybe don't understand direct-to-consumer, can you explain it a little bit? So direct-to-consumer um, – you know, it means a few different things. But really, at the time, it was these digitally native brands that were manufacturing their own products, cutting out the middleman, cutting out retail costs and selling directly to the customer online. And by doing so, you're able to get better pricing for higher quality products um, than you would normally see in a big retail store where there's all these markups and, um, and different costs that are associated. And so you know, it was this um, real value proposition, um, where it was like, you could have great things and not spend a fortune.
2: So you have this blog, you're creating this content, you know, your brain's starting to work. Where were you, like, Sheets? Because that was the first real like hero product for you guys. Yeah. So how did that happen?
0: So um, it was December 2012 <laughs> I now.
2: In <love> <laughs> the, the year. It's amazing. Well, it was
0: when I started thinking about this more seriously and I had started kind of putting together frameworks of like business plans and I was just thinking about, you know, what would my entry point be? Um, you know, this is a huge market. I was not gonna try to do everything all at once. I certainly didn't have capital to buy a million different products. And with my consumer background, I really wanted to see, you know, how I could build a connection with people because I knew that loyalty and trust would be hugely important to building a successful business. So um, I looked around the house and in my home and realized that the bedroom was the most intimate part of the home and you spend 30 of your life in bed. And I also could speak to this wellness component because sleep is such an important part of your life. And so it just seemed like the right place to start. Um, But the vision always was to build this broader home brand, which now we've become. But I really, I liked the idea of starting small, starting focused, um, not trying to do too much at once. You know, I had to learn so much to get the business up and running. So um, simplifying it seemed like the right move.
2: Yeah. And I love that. I think a lot of times in the back of your mind, you had the grander vision of like, we're going to be a home goods brand and we're going to sell everything from A to Z. But you started with sheets and you started with one thing and you did it really well and you like built the trust and loyalty. If someone's looking to start a product-based business, is that something that you think is a good stepping stone to do? Like start with one thing and do it really well?
0: Absolutely. Because also if you do if you do too much you just have a i think it's a bigger risk you know it just there's too many moving parts your supply chain gets more complicated i mean the whole business gets more complicated and i think trust is so important and loyalty is so important if you're building a brand that's going to be around for a long time it's not enough to just get someone to buy once you really want them to buy twice three times four times you really want that lifetime value of your customer to be as high as possible and so yeah i mean i think doing something small and focused just gives you the best shot at being successful. But, you know, I mean, initially, we thought we would launch Bath as the next category one year in, and we ended up waiting two, because, you know, it felt really important to continue to build that trust and to do what we were doing right, um, even better.
2: You mentioned supply chain. So I think this area is where people are like, whoa, like I have this idea. I want to make this amazing product. Supply chain, factories, manufacturing is like a very scary world. I think for a lot of people, can you talk about the process for you in finding your factories, figuring out how supply chain, like all of those different pieces?
0: So the first thing I did after I decided to leave my job and really focus on Parachute full-time was go to Europe and visit factories to see how the products were made, which was such an eye-opening experience. I mean, factories are just cool, period, Um, just seeing how things are actually created. But these factories were huge, and these machines were enormous, and it really just put into perspective how complicated making a sheet is, mm-hmm. but also how beautiful the process is. And for me, going to Europe also meant that I could create this quality But, you know, it was all learning on the fly. I mean, I was... Googling like how to buy boxes to ship products, you know, and we the supply chain was very piecemeal from the beginning. I mean, I was you know packing boxes and working with UPS and trying to figure out how to do it all. But we make finished goods, so our factory makes the product and then sends it to us, and then we're able to ship it to the customer. So it's actually a relatively straightforward supply chain. What makes it complicated is when you have lots of different products that are coming from lots of different places, and um and so that we like we grew into that. That. Um, but initially, it was once I figured out how to like who our factory was going to be and how to get it through customs, it was pretty straight ish l-
2: When you're figuring out how to get through customs, all that stuff, are you googling that as well? Or oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, just I mean googling group.
0: everything, and then also um, just trying to get introductions to anyone that has experience. It. Yeah. So it was a lot of you know, please talk to me for five minutes, and you know, figuring out who had you know had done this before, whether it was for textiles or any product, um, and so that was helpful. So I did get some introductions to people who were like, "Oh, you should talk to a freight forwarder who can get you through customs." And it's crazy, know.
2: and it sounds like the factory relationship is super crucial. Oh yeah, to a product based business. Yeah,
0: I mean, your product is everything. I mean, we are a product focused business. Everything that we do is centered around building this beautiful product. And if your product's not great, then the customer experience isn't going to be great. I mean, you can't really make it up. Otherwise, you know, there's not a lot that you can do to, to give someone what they want if the product and what they're paying for is not good.
2: Yeah. So factories, manufacturing, all these things are expensive, obviously. So you've raised over $40 million Mm -hmm. for parachute. One, I want to talk about like why that's important with a product-based business to raise money. And, and two, I want to talk about your experience in seeking out investors and raising money as a woman.
0: Sure, so I Initially, I ended up joining an accelerator program, which was my first bit of capital. And that literally the wire came in and the wire went out and went to my factory. I mean, it was all for the product. And then once I launched the business, there was this great momentum. We were getting great press. Um, No longer was it people that I could kind of find myself connected to (laughs) like purchasing. It was, you know, strangers from all over. And so at that point, I had a bit of momentum. And that's when I first raised my seed round. Um, Being part of this accelerator was super helpful. Um, and getting introductions and getting in front of people who I probably would have had a much more challenging time um, connecting with and um, but raising capital is is not easy and it's basically a full-time job which has you know takes you away from the business and takes you away from the things that you really love but we're in a capital intensive business I mean hiring people is expensive manufacturing products are expensive doing any kind of testing marketing is expensive um, and so you really need capital to grow and we've made the decision to be a company that wants to be really big Company and in order to have that kind of growth trajectory, we need to be able to to get capital. But you know the goal is profitability at some point, so you stop being on this um, hamster wheel of yeah. <laughs> cash. But you know it's it's been a wild ride. I mean, I think in some ways raising money gets somewhat easier um, as your business grows because you just have more data and a proof of concept, and it's less about this idea. It's more about you know this is what I've done, and you know here are thousands of people who love it.
2: So you're a solo founder, so which is an interesting decision. I feel like recently I haven't met as many solo founders, a lot of like partners. What was that decision like for you? Was it just a no-brainer, like I'm just doing this on my own? And were you always thinking like, I'll just bring on my C-suite team to support me further down the line?
0: Um, early on, I definitely thought I would find a partner um, to work with because – people, especially, you know, some of these early investors that I would talk to, it was just so unusual to be a sole founder. I and mean, they were, you know, the, there was a feedback, like, you can't find someone to do this with you, um, which is sort of bizarre. Um, like you know, it's single. like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically, like, <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, you know, so, um, but, you know, at the same time, it, you know, you look around and so many successful companies have two or three founders or four, you know, and you see that and there were some really isolating, lonely moments where I was just this party of one on an island and feeling you know, so much pressure and so much um, just stress about you know what to do and making the right decisions. But you know, I I think the grass is always greener. You know, as a sole founder, I get to make a lot of decisions quickly, and I have hired an incredible C-suite team, an incredible team in general. That you know, are many of those people are quite a bit smarter than me. You know, yeah. and it's and they're complementary to my to my skill sets.
2: And early on, I feel like it's like sort of the loneliest period, and then you can bring on those people. But yeah, it's it's rough, but it also has its perks too. So your first big win was actually. Kind of a nightmare as a company but you sold out of all your product within the first three months of being up and running which is amazing but also freaking out because you're like, I want to get the product in the hands of people. How did you deal with that situation?
0: Um, I single-handedly emailed every single customer that wasn't able to get product um, and let them know what was going on. So we had this moment where all of a sudden the product was sold out. We were waiting for new inventory to come in. Um, We had set up the website so that you could pre-order that new product, but we didn't know how to cap it. So some people bought, we ended up selling through the inventory that was actually coming as well. So there were people that had purchased products that I then needed to email and say, your sheets are gonna arrive for four to five months, um, which is crazy, you know. Um, but you know, I was able to do so in a way where actually and surprisingly people weren't that upset. You know, it was like, hey, we're a brand new business, you know, we are learning and we're growing and we're so grateful for your support. Here is the deal. Um and I'm gonna keep you updated and post like, you know, I'm gonna keep emailing you as we're figuring out what the timing is. But yeah, it was sort of a nightmare. I mean for me it was like we we'd done this great thing and the launch was successful and all of a sudden we were going to miss out on every opportunity and you know people were going to forget about us and they were going to find a different sheet company and you know that was it so it was certainly you know it's it's better than the alternative where no one wants to buy your product right but it um it <laughs> de- yeah it definitely made you know it was one of those dark times where I wasn't sure we would recover
2: of course but Definitely did. So obviously, like I said, you started in sheets, but now you've rolled out a ton of different categories, mattress, bath, all of these different things. Strategically, how has that been decided of like the who, the when, the how, and how do you keep it fresh in such a competitive space?
0: We still do a lot of research. So, you know, we're listening to our customers all the time and our customers are telling us what they want. I mean, some of it just makes sense. You know, for us, moving from a bedding to a bath brand is a really natural progression. You know, the bed and bathrooms are often connected. Um, those are two of the bigger categories within the home space. But we've continued to listen and talk to customers. And, you know, we use every communication touchpoint as a mini focus group to really learn what people want and, and what people don't want. I think we've also really just had this very clear point of view from an aesthetic standpoint. So when we design new products, it's all about mixing and matching our core collection. Um, We really... You know, consider ourselves a super versatile brand. Um, and so it's, you know, not a product, we're not creating products that are super trend focused. They are designed to really last and be timeless. But, you know, some of like to go back to the supply chain, you know, for us, we just launched this mattress. It's a totally different supply chain. So it wasn't something that we rushed into. It was something that we really did a lot of research on. We wanted to d- be differentiated in an incredibly crowded space, and we wanted to create something that was going to be amazing um, and stand out. So, you know, it, development time is different for all these different products. And then we stay fresh by introducing more seasonal assortments and, you know, different gifting items during the holidays. We do some great collaborations with other brands. Um, but yeah, I mean, staying fresh and staying, you know, giving people something to come back and look at is really important. So, you know, we're always thinking about what that, what that would be.
2: So you're a direct-to-consumer brand. You started online, but now you've rolled out brick-and-mortar stores. Mm-hmm. What was the sort of thought process behind that? And what's the ex- what do you want the in-store experience to be like?
0: So I always was very bullish on retail, um, just from my background with caring about people and wanting to connect with people. I felt that stores would be a great place for the relationship to continue to build and to grow, um, and really be less about the transaction. Although our stores do great and people shop there, but really more about this relationship building, getting to touch and feel the products. We're in a category where ninety percent of purchases historically were made offline. So buying sheets and towels online was a new behavior. So it was important for us to tap into that old behavior in order to reach customers who you know may not want to shop online and so our stores are you know so much more than just a place to shop you know they're really designed to feel like a home some of them have kitchens in them where we host dinner parties Um, we do events all the time you know it's it's really all about building that relationship and letting people touch and feel the products because they're super soft and and it's just a different experience when you you know get to wrap yourself in a cashmere throw versus seeing what it looks like online.
2: So the products are amazing. I have all parachute at my house, but the brand is really strong too. So, you know, it's gotten to that point where I just said parachute. I'm not like, oh, this company, it's like a known name, which is also really difficult to do. So it's not only difficult to create a really good product, but then to create a really good brand. Tell us a little bit about how you decided on the name Parachute and how the sort of brand piece of it came together.
0: So Parachute is inspired by the billowing fabric when you make your bed and you like you throw that top sheet up in the air and it comes, you know, down in this beautiful parachute type of um, way. Um, we really wanted something that was, you know, very tactile and and. Sp- would speak to the fabric, but not something so obvious. um, Because now you say parachute and people, you know, can associate it with our brand. And you know, you don't need to be so descriptive. But the branding has been I mean, that's the stuff that I really love. I mean, we have been so focused on consistency, and creating a clear point of view, um, that really hasn't changed. It's actually one of the things that I'm most proud of our branding has sort of maintained the same since the beginning. I mean, we've evolved our photography, and we've gotten, we've just gotten better at it. But we really, you know, it's all, about staying true to who we are, having a clear perspective, um, and then translating that through all the different mediums where we now play.
2: So even further to the brand, you have some philanthropic work that you've done through the brand. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. So we, since before we even launched, it was important for me to connect with um, and have some sort of philanthropic angle. I just think it's all brand should. So we partner with the United Nations Nothing But Nets organization, um, which provides life-saving malaria nets um, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So for our partnership, we give a, a bed net um, for every Venice that's sold, which is our signature bedding set. And then we also allow people to um, add $10 to their order, which provides a net. Um, it's all about, you know, for us, we feel we're giving our customers great sleep and we want to be able to provide safe sleep um, to those in need. And we also partner with some other organizations like Habitat for Humanity. But giving back, I mean, is is really important. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's integral to what we do.
2: So – You're running this incredible company. I just saw images of your new office, which looks so amazing. How many employees do you have now?
0: Ooh, I think it's like close to 60 at our headquarters and then retail.
2: So running a massive company. What have you learned about yourself through the process of doing this?
0: Oh, I'm an entirely different person than when I started. I mean, I don't think there's anything that's more transformative. You know, I have learned that I'm super resilient and that, you know, I can um, overcome just about anything um, and there's no challenge too big. You know, I also have learned the importance of listening and just being, you know, being a partner to the people that work and, and the importance of culture. I mean, I it, it's just... Everything. I mean, I I truly believe that you know there's nothing that can shape you and help you know a person grow than (laughs) running a business and um and one that you know people want to be a part of.
2: If you could go back in time and do it all over again, what's one thing that you would maybe change, or one thing that you would absolutely keep doing?
0: Um, I would keep. I mean, I would. There's a lot of things that I would keep doing. I mean, I think to my point that earlier, you know, my deck is my first deck is so similar to the vision that we have now. Um, And so, you know, creating a brand, being true to who we are, and, um, you know, and creating great products. I mean, I, that's, I would just keep doing that, you know, what I would do differently, you know, I think so I didn't hire my first employee until after I launched, there was this entire year plus amount of time that I um, was a party of one. And, um, in retrospect, you know, I wish that I had tried to hire someone sooner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I was really, you know, insecure about the fact that I couldn't pay someone. Um, and now, you know, so many people would like to be part of a growing business, whether they can do it full time or they'll do it after work. Um, you know, it's a really amazing opportunity to be part of that growth story and that founding story. And so, you know, I would have tried to get some help.
2: Yeah, it's that fear of the like, what if this doesn't work out? Yeah. And I can't pay you. And, and it, you think about that, but I think it's also something like you said, in retrospect, now that you are super successful and have yeah. a ton of employees, you're like, I should have asked.
0: Well, and I talked to, you know, younger, like earlier founders that are just getting started on, um, in their journey and they do have people that, you know, are so excited and are passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, they're still, ha- they're working at their day job, but then they work on this other project as passion project at night. And, you know, I, I feel like that's people do that, you know, to be part of something. And I wish that I... in
2: 2012, though, like, I don't know if it was as right. common. So I think like now it's a little bit different. That's but yes. Yeah. So I mean, we're giving you a break. On Thank that. you. So you're a new mom. Yes. you um, we were talking a little bit the, the irony of the fact that you run like a sleep business <laughs> and, and are getting zero sleep. None. How has that impacted and affected you as a, you know, kind of someone running this company?
0: Um, you know, I always talk about Parachute being like my first baby. Um, it's my first child. And so having now a second child who um, is human and is depending on me in a different way, um, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it's we're now nine weeks in. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just really trying to figure it out, to be honest. I mean, I I want to be so connected to Parachute in the day-to-day, but I also want to connect with my daughter and be there for her in these you know initial weeks of her life. But, you know, it's... We now have a new built-in model for our baby collection, which is nice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Your nursery looked so cute.
0: It's really cute. Um, But it's hard. I mean, you know, balance doesn't exist and you can't always have it all. But I think for me it's, you know, finding a rhythm, um, you know, where I can, you know, feel connected to my work, feel connected to Lou and um, and just – Feel good about, you know, the choices that I'm making. So saying no a lot more, um, which is also great.
2: Okay, so we're going to do some rapid fire to wrap up. If I wasn't running parachute, I would be
0: Um, like a travel writer, so I could just travel all the time. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Or like a famous interior design (laughs) blogger. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, My guilty Instagram follow is, Uh,
0: you know, I don't really have that many, but maybe like Us Weekly. I guess I do follow, you know, just some like like,
2: Trash Celeb tabloids to get you through it. Right now, I'm obsessed with. My daughter, yeah, yeah fair. I mean, she's pretty cute. <laughs> In 2019, I'm excited to
0: what I just said. So say no, like all the time, and really just spend my time doing the things that really fulfill me and um, and really, you know, are additive to my life.
2: Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Work party listener exclusive. We're launching a members only platform on createcultivate.com become a Create and Cultivate Insider to get exclusive digital mentor sessions, hours of archived panel conversations from our previous conferences, plus future conferences, front of line passes for our pop-ups around the country, early access to our always sold out events, top-notch downloadable business resources from experts, and so much more. If you sign up to become a member before the official launch date on April 2nd, use code EARLYINSIDER for 10% off your annual membership. That's code EARLYINSIDER for 10 off your annual membership. Head to CrateCultivate.com to get all the Crate and Cultivate insider goods now. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned, and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on WorkParty.com. So you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.